0: Hey guys, how's it going? How are you feeling? How's your summer? I have the best episode this week for you. I sat down with world champion, like literally she won the worlds for water skiing and then got pregnant. And we're going to talk about her birth story with her son Zane today. So Whitney Rainey from Orlando, Florida, she's a badass and let's get to it. Whether you are pregnant, trying desperately to get pregnant, or you just love a good birth story, I hope you will stick around and be part of this birth story family. Okay, before we get started, I have a couple of reminders. The first, if you are pregnant and you are seeking more information, I have a ton of free guides for you at birthstory.com. Click on the tab, the workbook. All you have to do is put your email address in and you have access to my whole library. These are all of the documents that I share with my private doula clients. So if you're interested in learning more about delayed cord clamping, cord blood banking, placenta encapsulation, what the epidural procedure is like, download all my free guides at birthstory.com. While you're there, I would love for you to pick up a copy of the Birth Story pregnancy guidebook. It's a 42 week, week by week guide to your pregnancy. It has 42 journaling prompts, lots of birth affirmations, 42 birth stories, and it tells you everything that's going on inside of you from your baby's perspective. You can get $5 off and free shipping and a free gift by using code birth story podcast when you check out. Last but not least. If you are a fan of this podcast, then I just ask that you push pause and leave me a five-star review. I don't know how all the algorithms work, but I know that the reviews help other parents find their way to my podcast. I appreciate you. I appreciate you listening, and I would really appreciate a review. Thanks and enjoy this episode. Hey, Whitney. Welcome to the Birth Story Podcast. How are you?
1: Hey Heidi, thanks for having me. How
0: did you find this podcast?
1: Well, I was searching for good stories and I came across your podcast. I also listened to a whole bunch of other podcasts while I was pregnant and going for my daily walks. And then my best friend shared her story on one of her favorite podcasts. And that's when I reached out to you. I was like, that's such a great idea. I want to share my story too.
0: (laughs) Excellent. Well, for all my listeners, what are some of the other favorite birth podcasts that you listen Uh, to?
1: The birth hour. And honestly, I don't remember the name of all of them, but I just loved filling my mind with positive stories before I went into labor, which I didn't really go into labor, but I was expecting to go into labor. And I just wanted to have the most positive feelings and thoughts before I went into the hospital and gave birth. And I wanted to make sure that everything just seemed normal and that I could do it. And there's so many positive stories out there and I wanted to fill my brain with it. So.
0: That's exactly why I started this podcast. I'm sure Bren with the birth hour, I'm sure that's why she started her podcast too. So. We're so glad that you, you know, listened and prepared for your birth, and we really want to hear all about it. So before we dig in, tell us a little bit about yourself. Like, where do you live? How old are you? A little bit about your life.
1: All right. My name is Whitney Rini. I live in Orlando, Florida. I'm originally from Canada. I am 31 years old now. I was 30 when I gave birth, and my son is nine and a half months old. I have been married to my husband, Matt, and he's also my coach. I'm a professional water skier. I've been married to him for three and a half years and he has three older children, 21, 18, and 14. So that has been an adventure blending. Um, and the kids are absolutely amazing with him. And yeah, we live in Orlando and ski in Orlando and Love our lives here. I'm also a real estate agent, but mostly still a pro water skier. (laughs)
0: Okay, we're going to talk about birth, but right now I know that there is a lot of people like me that I'm like, whoa, hold on. Professional water skier? This is so cool. Like, tell me more. How do you become a professional water skier?
1: Well, I was born into a family of water skiers. My aunt and my uncle are actually both world champions. And I just grew up watching them and knowing that I was going to be a world champion one day. And sure enough, when I was 19 years old, I became a world champion and I have continued to compete and I've won over 30 professional titles and it has just been such a blessing of a career. And I'm fortunate enough to have um, just competed again this weekend and I consider myself pro again. I got fourth this weekend. I didn't win but I feel like I can come back. And it was amazing to have Zane there
0: with me. I think being nine and a half months postpartum and competing in anything is, is a pretty amazing. So this is gonna be very inspiring for those of us that are postpartum and are like staring at our treadmill and our Peloton and are like, maybe we should get on that thing today. So how many weeks postpartum were you? Or months postpartum were you when you skied again for the first time?
1: I went the same day I came home from the hospital from my postpartum appointment. So six weeks exactly, I went to the lake and I could not believe how hard it was. (laughs) I have been skiing my entire life since I was two years old. And I thought, I really thought that this was I was never going to be able to do it again. (laughs) Wow but my whole pregnancy to try and stay healthy and fit and keep my muscles. But I didn't stay at the same level, of course, while I was pregnant, but I stayed on the water literally a week until I was giving birth. And I just, the six weeks postpartum was just so hard on my body and being home and literally doing nothing, just letting myself heal that I couldn't believe how difficult it was. And the journey back to close to the podium even, has been way longer and way harder than I could have ever imagined. And it's given me so much respect for one, women and what our bodies go through and two, my sport for how difficult it is to come back.
0: Yes. Oh, okay. Well, we're going to dig into that a little bit more when we get to your postpartum, because I want to hear about some tools and tips and tricks that could help listeners. Yeah. To you know get their body back and get their health back and Resume some of the things that they were passionate about and that they loved prior to becoming parents, right? So tell me about your journey to pregnancy.
1: All right. Well, I won the world championships in uh, 2019. And I decided at that time, so this was 10 years after I won it the first time, I won again. And I decided I wanted to have a baby but I wanted to accomplish that first. So I thought I'm going to get pregnant in August or September, right after I win the world. And because my family history, my mom got pregnant right away. My sister-in-law got pregnant right away. I know that's not really related, but I just, and my aunt got pregnant by accident. So I'm thinking, okay, this will be a piece of cake to get pregnant. Turns out I was wrong, and I learned a lot about my body, a lot about ovulation, and how to how to body temp. And I was a little bit freaking out, but I did get pregnant um, in November. So it didn't take me forever, but it took a lot longer than I expected initially. So I was very thankful to get pregnant right before our anniversary. Then I was able to share with my family at Christmas that I was pregnant. So yeah, about. Three or four months of trying. But like I said, it was much more difficult to time it than I expected. And the, the thing that helped me the most was the body temping because I found that I was going based on what my app was telling me you're ovulating on day 14. Well, then we try, 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 and then give it a break for a couple of days, you know, because we're over it. <laughs> and then I found out I was ovulating on day 16. So huge difference. And and obviously that made the difference for me getting pregnant that month.
0: I am so glad that you're sharing this. I actually have a doula client, Brooke, and she called me, oh, I don't know, let's say a couple of months ago, more than a couple of months ago. But she said, hey, Heidi, like we want to have another baby. And she's like, we've tried a couple of months and, you know, it just hasn't happened this time. Like it was so easy the first time. And I was like, well, you know, you just recently quit nursing. Have you tracked your ovulation? Like, and I don't mean like on an app, right? Like tracked your ovulation, like sure. with ovulation sticks, like body temping. And she had the same story as you, Whitney. And she was kind of like, no, I just did it on an app. And I'm like, I really feel like you're probably missing missing your ovulation. Because like newsflash, we don't, most people don't have sex every day, right? Yeah. It's like, well, I mean, that sounds wonderful, but not reality. The very next month, she called me and was like, you are so right. I was ovulating late and she did the like urine strips and she was yeah. like, I was ovulating late. And then like the next month she was like, yeah, I, I'm pregnant. It worked. And I was like, you're welcome. And you better hire me to be your doula again, you know? <laughs> so body temping, can you tell everybody a little bit more about like what that looks like?
1: Yes, so I actually tried the peeing strip thing, but it tells you to start so early that I was really getting disappointed that I was like, Okay, it's negative, I'm not ovulate. It started freaking me out. So I was like, what can I control or what can I do that I can see every single day? And so that's why when I found the the temp thing, and basically I was just taking before I got out of bed every morning, I would just take my oral temperature and it has it goes to the hundredth in decimal and then The day that you ovulate, it goes up, right? Now I can't even remember. It was was a year and a half ago when I was doing it. It does.
0: Body temperature goes up when you're ovulating. Yeah.
1: So ironically, I was not at home the day that my temperature went up, but I was with my husband the night before. And then I flew to see my cousin the next day and I was like, dang it, I missed it because I saw the ovulation like go up, but there was... I guess, enough window there that I was able to still get pregnant.
0: So do you think you got pregnant before you left for that trip? Or did you get home, like, in time?
1: No, I got pregnant the day before. Like, I got pregnant that weekend, but I assume it was before I left that I was still... The fertile window was... Because once the, the ovulation actually... The body temping catches it after, I'm pretty sure.
0: Yes. So the the sperm needs to be there.
1: Yes. Already. So the day I woke up at, in Massachusetts was the day that my temperature went up. And I was like, dang it, I missed it. Like, you know, but I was with my husband the day before. So it worked out that even though, and that I think was me not being stressed out about it too. I'm like, well, I missed it this month. Now I'm gonna, at least I have the information for next month.
0: Yeah, I think this is such a great, teaching opportunity, right? Because most people don't know that sperm can live, I think, around six days. So it's like having sex is a very important part of fertility if you're in a heterosexual relationship, right? Like when I talk to the fertility doctors, they'll say like one of the main reasons for not getting pregnant is not having enough sex, (laughs) like just plain and simple or not having the right time to sex either. So it sounds like you guys, you know, kind of nailed it because, I mean, literally too, you know, you had sex and then, you know, the sperm was there. You have a six-day kind of, sometimes you can have it for the strong swimmers, you can have a six-day window and then you ovulated. And so they were, they were waiting. They were ready. So yeah. yeah. How exciting. Okay. So was that pregnancy, this baby that we're talking about? Did that pregnancy continue? And that is yes. the birth story that we're talking about today? Yes, it did. Okay, excellent. Now, yeah. I like to clarify that because I know the first yeah. time we get pregnant doesn't always result in a full term um, pregnancy. So yeah. tell me about that first, like finding out. I mean, that's always like the moment to me that gives me goosebumps from head to toe. So, how did you find out?
1: So, this is the funny thing. So, I continued tempting. So, I knew my period was not coming. So, every morning I was expecting that drop off again when my period was going to come and it never came. And so, I was like, okay, okay, okay. Now we're getting close enough to maybe I should pee on a, a thing. So, I peed on, I had a whole bunch of these little, the really small ones that come with the, with the ovulation test strips. And so, I just peed on one every day. And I was like, Mm, I think I think I see something there, but I'm not like those girls in the group who are like, "Can you see the line if you take a picture and invert it?" And I was like, mm, "I don't see anything today. I'll try tomorrow." Because I I knew my period was also not coming because I was tempting, and so I'm like, "Okay, I'll try again tomorrow." So I tried again tomorrow. Same thing. I'm like, mm, "I don't think I see something." And then the next day, I was like, oh, "I see something," and I was like, "My." gonadotropin is up or something like that to my husband. And he goes, so what's that mean? I was like, well, I think I'm pregnant.
0: (laughs) I love (laughs) this because he already has three kids.
1: (laughs) What is that? And I said this to my mom too. And she's like, so what's that mean? I was like, I have a faint line. And Matt's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. My husband goes, you haven't even missed your period yet. Hold your horses. And I'm like, babe, you can't fake a pregnancy test. He goes, you haven't even missed your period yet. I'm like, okay. (laughs) Style, <laughs> that he's starting over again, and I'm like, I'm pregnant. I'm pregnant. I knew I was pregnant. I told my mom, and she's like, "So what's this mean?" I'm like, "Mom, you can't not, you can't pee pregnant on a pee stick and not be pregnant." And every so, I did not get the response that I wanted from my people. I think it's because I used going <laughs> instead of "I'm pregnant." Yes, but, you know. <laughs> um, then a couple of days later, I did end. Up I missed my period very clearly and I, the line kept getting stronger. So my mom and my husband finally believed me. Oh
0: my gosh. This is just making me crack up so much. I was like, I feel like I was the total opposite of you, Whitney. I saw something and I called my friend Tara and I was like sitting in a parking lot, like by myself, like went to CVS and had a pregnancy test, you know? And I said, Sarah, I said, Tara, I think I see something. And she was like, well, if you see anything at all, like you are pregnant. I was like, and then I ran with it. I was like, I'm pregnant. And then I didn't even know if I really was pregnant, but I was so optimistic. And then later that day, it had faded away on that test. And I was like, I swear there was something I had taken a photo and I like was the person I zoomed in for my husband. I was like, there was a line there. And then like the next morning I did it again and it was, it came back up. But isn't that so funny? You were so chill and I was like, I'm pregnant for sure. I know I'm not even going to (laughs) retest.
1: Well, I knew I was pregnant. I knew that's what that meant, meant, but nobody else seemed to, my two people that I told right away, (laughs) didn't understand, I guess the way I said it to them, but, and I was kind of in denial too. I'm like, okay, I, I know this is what this means but they're telling me no. So I'm like, okay, I'll just keep testing just to make sure.
0: (laughs) Okay, so here you are. I'm trying to like just picture this. I'm like literally world champion water skier, like just won the worlds. Mm -hmm. Then wake up, you're pregnant. You are bonus mom to three kids. And like, were you like at all? Were you like, but I wanted to go water skiing today. I mean, so what, I guess what I'm getting at is like, What does it look like for your fitness when you are that level of in shape and used to doing those tremendous amount of workouts? And then it's like you wake up and you're pregnant. Like, did you take a day off?
1: I don't remember if I skied that day, but I assume I didn't just because it was December and I generally take December off anyway. So I would have found that I was pregnant like December 5th or 6th because I remember taking a test on our anniversary on December 4th and it wasn't positive yet but then a couple of days later I was so early December and I wouldn't have been skiing, but honestly, I probably did work out. I know I was working out at orange theory at the time. And even when I was very, very, very newly pregnant, I was very tentative to work out hard because I'm like, I'm not supposed to, I'm not supposed to get my heart rate up. So like within the first month I was working out there and I made sure I told the trainer, I'm like, I'm pregnant. So that's why you're going to notice me not working as hard. (laughs) I didn't know how hard you could work or when you're supposed to not work hard or whatever. So I was just prenatals right away and took myself. I was very cautious even coming back to water skiing. I know I started skiing in like January, February, something like that. I know I was taking it super easy and I never took any chances because to me, This was like such a miracle and blessing. And I knew I wasn't going to be competing that year anyway, that I was like, I'm just going to work out to stay in shape. And I just really didn't want to feel any cause of a loss if for some reason I lost this pregnancy. So I, I made sure that I was very responsible.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I hear it. It's very difficult for the athletes that I interview the first trimester right? Like I just hear this over and over again. And um, I was this, I mean, I think my audience knows at nauseum by now. I'm like, hello, I'm in my forties now. But I'm like, I used to play soccer a lot. And I played internationally in South Africa. And so I played until I was about 12 or 13 weeks pregnant. And then I got nailed. And I mean, like nailed on the, with a ball, like right to uh. the stomach. And I mean, it's like, fine, you know, your uterus is so yeah. small, like 13 weeks and the baby's like so small. But I just remember like looking over yeah. to the side and my husband was like, that's it, get off the court. That's my baby in there. And I was like, okay, no more sucker. I mean, we like kicked in stuff, you know, kind of like you said, yeah. take it easy. So for everyone listening, the advice from your medical provider is, well, first ask your medical provider, but yeah. typically it's, you know, you can resume what you were doing before with modification and listen to your body, right? So if you're a runner, there's so many runners on this podcast that listen. And if you're a runner, yes, you can keep running, right? But like you may become winded a little bit sooner. And so you just have to listen to your body and then modify as you go along. So it sounds like you did that. Real quick, Whitney, shout out to Orange Theory Orlando. My sister-in-law, Ashlyn, that's where she works out too. I mean, it may be a different branch, but I will yeah. i will throw Ashlyn on this podcast because I rarely get an opportunity to talk about her. So, <laughs> hey, Ashlyn, you and Whitney work out at the same place.
1: I don't work out there anymore. But no, I was, <laughs>
0: just a pregnancy? I,
1: while I was pregnant, because I knew I couldn't not work out hard there. Yes. <laughs> was, for me, and I was pushing myself to where, my mom was working out with me too, and she's like, you need to stop. Like <laughs> you can't you can't be pushing yourself this hard. So I finally had to give it up. And then COVID happened and I've been working out at a different gym now that I also love.
0: Oh uh, well we'll leave it at that. How about that? <laughs> Just kidding. What gym are you what gym are you working out? Let's give them a shout out.
1: It's called New Dimensions Wellness in Orlando and it is really amazing for me with my sport it's like movement practice. It's really,
0: really cool. Oh, excellent. Okay. New Dimensions Wellness. I'll link to it in the show notes too, in case anyone's listening in from the Orlando area and wants to check it out. So let's dive into your pregnancy. Were there any complications? Like, was it all smooth? Tell me about like those nine months.
1: Yeah. So in the beginning so, I was a vegetarian for a really long time, and as soon as I got pregnant, all I wanted was salty meats and cheese and all these horrible things in my opinion. I was like, "What is wrong with me? <laughs> this has to be a boy <laughs> because there's <laughs> no way a girl would want me eating this stuff, but I just remember feeling very like nauseous but craving like gross things like things to me that normally are gross and fatty and, and not normal for me, but I never got sick. Thankfully, I was just nauseous a lot of the time and very tired. So my pregnancy was actually very smooth. I was, I felt like I was able to stay fit the whole way through. And I usually only felt really tired in the afternoons. And it was probably because I was getting up and I was being active. And then in the afternoon, my body was like, okay, time to have a nap or whatever. And fortunately, with it being winter, I was able to do that and not feel guilty about anything. And because I'm a water skier. I didn't feel any pressure to be at the lake. And as our appointments went through, like, so my husband came to our first ultrasound and that I think when he finally heard the heartbeat. So imagine that at like 10 weeks, he finally is like, oh, that's my baby in there. Like he finally realized I was actually pregnant. It took him a really long time to wrap his head around this. <laughs>
0: you know, I, for, for, for you, the birthing person, the pregnant person, I know how that can feel like a really long time, but I'm yes. just starting to think about the dual clients that I work with. And I'm thinking most of the dads tell me that they didn't really feel like it was real until the baby was born. So, or like we were in the room and like mom's pushing. So I'm like, all right, 10 weeks, like that's yeah. pretty okay. good.
1: <laughs> you know, But to me, it- like, hun, like I'm, I am pregnant. You know, I, I kept telling him, and he's like, "Yeah, anything could happen." You know, he, I think he had endured a loss in his previous marriage as well, so I think he was also just making sure he wasn't getting excited before he heard the heartbeat. And so I think there was some history with him there, but um, he was very excited once he heard the heartbeat, and they said everything looks good. And um, so that was a huge blessing to find out the baby was healthy. And then at 20 weeks, we got to do the body scan to make sure all the... So is it at 20 weeks that you can find out the biological sex through the ultrasound?
0: Yeah. So usually anytime after around 18 weeks, it is usually when the biological sex is male. It's sometimes a little bit, I would say, easier to tell. Like if you see a penis, you see a penis, you know what I'm saying? But sometimes if the biological sex is female, as determined on the ultrasound, if it's before 20 weeks, often the medical community will be like, maybe we should scan again, right? So at that 20-week ultrasound is where you would have been finding out the sex.
1: Yeah. And I did a home test as well to see... The blood to see if it was male or female. And so I actually knew ahead of time, but this was just our confirmation of what the blood test determined. And so that's when we announced that we were having a boy. Aww. And So then from there, I mean, the only, to me, the only hiccup that I had in my whole pregnancy was finding out that I was GPS positive because I really, really wanted to have as natural of a birth as I could. And I knew that that meant that I was going to pretty much need to have antibiotics in hospital. And for me, that was a big deal because I tried to be, I tried to do the probiotics and I tried to just be really good with my eating leading up to it. And I tried to have my gut really healthy, but unfortunately I did test positive for GBS. And yeah, that was, that was really the only thing in my whole pregnancy at the sugar test was totally fine. And like I said, I was skiing pretty much the whole time that I was pregnant. My midwife practice did not love that I was skiing, but for me, I knew I trusted that what I was doing was a lot less than what I typically do. And I, I trusted that I wasn't going to fall. And so that I was able to stay super fit and super healthy in my pregnancy and i also did a lot of pilates actually there was a there was a pregnancy pilates that i was starting to do and then i also did some like little workouts online as well but i just i loved just going to the lake and floating and swimming when it was very hot in the summer in florida and i was actually fortunate enough to go to canada for 2 weeks when i was about 34 to 36 weeks pregnant i went to visit my mom that, I think that was, she would have left in April to go up to Canada for the summer, like she does every year. And so she hadn't seen me. And I was with like, my little niece and nephew were there and they were able to see my belly bump. And I was able to just chill out for about two weeks because I actually was in quarantine the whole time I was there. And then the one day that I got out of quarantine, we did a baby shower in Canada for me as well with my family and friends from up there. And and when I came home, I was like, all right, babe, I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready to have this baby. So mm-hmm. I started walking every day. He was, <laughs> we actually went on some family walks and it was so hard to keep up with the kids and my husband and the dogs. And I'm just like, I'm just waddling my butt up the street. And <laughs> I just did my best <laughs> to keep up with them. And to I really thought that I could walk that baby out of me I thought I could walk it. I thought I could sex it. I thought I could eat the dates. I thought I could drink the tea. I thought I could do the nipple stem. I thought I could do everything to get that baby out. But nothing started labor for me.
0: Yep. Nope, <laughs> nope, and nope. I think if anyone's listening, listened to episode 22 on my natural induction methods, like I start it and I have my disclosure that's like, you know, just patience, 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 patience. <laughs> Don't do any of these things. But like, if you need to know about them, Here they are, right? Before you dig into your birth story, I have a couple questions. Number one, I know you said you wanted to have a natural, like, as possible. And so did you seek out midwifery care then?
1: Yes, I did. So I watched The Business of Being Born as soon as I got pregnant. And I was, I had decided immediately that I did not want an OB to deliver my baby. And so I right away went to research midwifery care. And I found a practice that made me feel very comfortable. I toured the hospital and I felt like, yes, this feels, this feels like a really good place for me to deliver my baby. And I also looked into home birth options. I really just wanted to have a home birth and deep down something kept telling me no. And I do have a strong faith and I, I know that there were, there was hesitation for a reason. And my midwife ended up telling me she was working in a birth center previous to working in the hospital. And she said, you would have ended up here anyway. So I'm really thankful that I didn't spend the money out of pocket to do, to attempt a home birth and then ended up in the hospital anyway and had my deductible to pay because it's a, it's very significant with my husband and me both being self-employed it would have been very expensive for us to have to transfer
0: nothing can interrupt or stop like that mother's intuition it is so strong and so you have to listen to that so if there is something inside of you that's saying mm, this just it's like the puzzle pieces are not fitting together then you have to listen to that, right? And if it feels like, oh my gosh, this feels like the best thing ever, then listen to that too. I,
1: I know could never myself to fully trust like the financial part of it, where if anything went wrong and I had to transfer, my husband was also very much very adamant about being in the hospital. So for me, this was a, a really happy medium where I said, Okay, it's midwifery care in a hospital setting where I would be able to be in the water. Um, some of the time while laboring. And so it it really was a great option for us, this hospital.
0: Excellent. Well, I just wanted to share a little bit about the GBS too. So GBS, everyone stands for, when Whitney was talking earlier, that's the group beta strep bacteria. Everyone has it. They are testing you around your 37th, 36th, 37th week of pregnancy to see if that bacteria has become colonized. If it has become colonized and you're delivering in a hospital, it is recommended to take a course of antibiotics within, you know, four to eight hours of delivery. And so anyone can talk to their medical provider about GBS if you're confused about that. From a doula's perspective, you know, my job is to educate and inform. I have a little trick or tip that my midwife taught me when I was pregnant which is to wash my rectum and vagina with Hibiclens, which is an antibacterial soap, like once a week. And then of course, the night before and the morning of the appointment. So the GBS test is a swab that goes on your rectum and in your vagina, just kind of like a long Q-tip. And then they send it off to be cultured. And another tip is that a lot of my clients think that they have to just get in for this test at 36 or 37 weeks, and like lay down on the hospital bed and put their feet up in stirrups and have it done to them. And so I just wanted to say, Whitney, this is a great opportunity. I'm using you as a teaching, teachable moment to say, anyone who can like wipe themselves, like if you're physically able to reach your rectum and your vagina, then you can ask your provider to swab yourself. So you can put a glove on, you can take that Q-tip and you can certainly swab your vagina and your rectum and do the culture yourself, like you know, with supervision, but it's something that doesn't have to be done to you. You can also empower yourself to do that on your own. So I wanted to put that out there. So Whitney, it was recommended that you go on antibiotics and you had mentioned you tried probiotics. So that's another thing, everybody. It is highly recommended that your provider will tell you to be on a probiotic You can also do probiotics vaginally if you are colonized with GBS too. And then, like I said, washing with an antibacterial wash. So those are all like little pearls. If you're listening, I want you to jot down and maybe talk to your midwife or your provider about prior to your 36-week appointment. So thank you for sharing about that. Did you elect to take the antibiotics, Whitney?
1: I ended up taking an antibiotic for something else along the way. And I was really disappointed about that too, because that was actually before my GPS appointment. And so I, I was really disappointed about the antibiotics. But the, the one that I ended up having to, I had to take penicillin in the hospital before my baby was born. Because I ended up having to go to the hospital early with PROM which is premature rupture of membrane and once you are once your membranes are open that is allowing for a passageway for the bacteria to get into the baby and so that's why they recommended within 24 hours I started to have antibiotics in the hospital and had I not taken it the penicillin They would have, they told me that the baby was going to need a spinal tap or something like that before I was allowed to take him home. So I really did it to prevent him from having to get any more testing afterwards.
0: Yeah. Every hospital is different and the tests look different. Like in my area, if you're GBS positive, you're not just discharging typically in 24 hours. You're going to have to stay an extra day too to monitor um, the baby. And so, I mean, that should be a whole nother podcast that we'll talk about GBS status. I haven't dug in too much about it because I haven't had too many GBS positive moms. So I'm so thankful in a sense that that was part of your story so that we could share it today for others to learn. So let's talk about premature rupture of the membranes. Where were you? What happened? What did it feel like?
1: Yeah, so I was just, I went, I got up one morning, I went to the lake and I was like, I kind of feel like I'm, like leaking a lot more than usual today. You know, when you're late in pregnancy, it's pretty wet down there and it's not the most pleasant atmosphere. But I'm like, this is a little more drippy than usual. (laughs) And so I actually had these bamboo reusable pads. I stuck one in my underwear. I'm like, whatever. It's another day being pregnant. I'm getting closer. (laughs) And so we went to the lake. I was in the lake for a lot of the day. I came home. I ended up going to the chiropractor because I had. they kind of told me that my baby wasn't sitting properly at my last appointment, which didn't end up being the case, but I went to the chiropractor anyway, and just to try and get myself aligned, and when I got home, I was like, okay, I need to go pee, but I kind of just peed before I got to the toilet. I think this might be amniotic fluid, and so I'm a little scientist, and I have pH strips in my cupboard, and I Quickly Googled, what's the pH of amniotic fluid? So I did the pH of the amniotic fluid, like whatever was dripping out of me, and then I peed in a cup and I tested that, and they were very different. So I was like, okay, that is amniotic fluid. I should call my midwife. So I called my midwife, and she's like, well, I have to tell you to come in right now. And I was like, well, dang it, because I'm not in labor. So I was like, are you sure I need to come in? And so this is where I call my mom, I call my husband. And I'm like, okay, I'm leaking a little bit of fluid and they say I should come in, but I think what I should do is sleep tonight and go in the morning freak out mode. My husband and my mom say, you're going to the hospital tonight. I'm like, "Ah, okay. So I call my best friend. I'm like, Amanda, this is not the way this is supposed to happen. I'm crying. And I'm like, I was supposed to go into labor. I was supposed to labor in my bathtub before I went to the hospital. And this is just not how it's supposed to happen. And she's like, yeah, but you're going to have your baby soon. (laughs) Like go to the hospital and have your baby. So she's so
0: cute. That's probably exactly what you needed to hear right now in that moment. Just like, go meet your baby.
1: It's going to be okay. So I went to the hospital. I was a miserable little minion about going to the hospital because I go in the emergency entrance because it was closed. I went after dinner and I was like, I'm not in labor but I'm having my baby and I was just grumpy. And then they take me into the little room where they check you before you go into your labor and delivery room. And they come in and they're like, are you in labor? I'm like, no, I have premature rupture of membranes. And so the doctor comes in and I had rejected cervical checks until this time. And he basically gave me no option but to do a cervical check, which really frustrated me. So he did and I don't I did not know this doctor and I was like, Where is the midwife? And he said, She's in a delivery right now and can't come see you. And so my husband was like, just do the cervical check and let's get into the delivery room. like the labor and delivery. And so we did it. I did not want to because I knew I'm not in labor, I'm not my cervix is not open. I my my water is breaking, you know, so Anyway, it was a very frustrating part of the process when we finally get into the room. So was
0: you your cervix want- closed?
1: Completely. Yes. And that was also frustrating because I knew that, but I did not need him to put his fingers in me to tell me that. And that frustrated me even more. Because yeah. I'm like, I
0: that upset. makes and me mad, you- Whitney. That makes me so frustrated. I'm sorry. I'm getting upset with you. I'm like...
1: No, it made me <sighs> help And, but my husband, I, it was the worst part to me, was my husband was sitting there. I said, no, I knew my rights. He did not have to do that. And my husband basically gave him permission. He, you know, it was not me. And so it was very frustrating. I was just like, I felt violated. Anyway, it was a very small part of the story that just, you know, just another tick of why I'm frustrated. This is not how I wanted my birth to go. Yeah. And. So then we finally get into the room and happens to be the midwife who I decided I was not going to see again at my week appointments and which was fine. But she was like, okay, we need to put your IV in. And I'm like, why do we need to put an IV in right now? I just want to go to sleep. And cause they were going to monitor my baby. That was the main reason why I agreed to go to the hospital because okay, with premature rupture, You could go into labor or your baby could get into distress. So I said, okay, well, I'm not going into labor, but it would be a good idea to monitor the baby. That's the only reason why I was going to the hospital that night. Put the straps on me, let me sleep. That's what I said to them. But they also said, if you go into labor, we might need to inject something into you. If you start bleeding out, the quickest way to get this medication into you is through your IV. So please let us put the IV in now. And I said, fine. So she missed my, my vein. And so the whole first night was just miserable and I did not want to be there. And I knew I was not in labor and I was not going to let them induce me <laughs> that night. And so they were just like, all right, see you later. And thankfully it was totally a God thing. First thing in the morning, my wonderful nurse walks in the room and she says, good morning. Good morning. I had two natural births and I am here for you today. And I just, I knew that God had sent this wonderful woman to be my nurse for the day. And then the amazing midwife walks in the room. She goes, good morning, Whitney. I am the crunchiest midwife in this practice. I used to work at a, a birthing center and I am here for you today. And I am going to do my very best to help you have the most natural birth that you can have. And the oh, OB, wow. it was, during the morning, he comes in and he goes, hi, good morning. I have the lowest cesarean rate in our practice. You don't do that by accident. That is very intentional. This is how I woke up in the hospital this morning. And it was just the most amazing way to start my day. And I said, Yep, yeah, this is who I want to have my baby with.
0: <laughs> oh, my gosh. I, oh, okay, I have all the feels. God was definitely present. He sent you all of these amazing people.
1: The very first thing that my midwife said was, all right, Whitney, you can bounce on your little ball all day, but I really don't think that's going to help you go into labor. So my suggestion is we start an induction, but it doesn't have to be Pitocin. So she said, my recommendation is misoprostol. And that will soften your cervix. And hopefully that will start your labor naturally. And so my husband was like, let's do that. And I was like, okay. My husband was, as my coach, he is very good at helping me get to a point mentally where I say yes, or I'm in agreement. He was like, yes, that sounds like a great idea honey, I think that's where we're going to end up. So why don't we just start doing that now so we can get out of here sooner? <laughs> and so I'm like, okay, let's do that. That's well
0: fine. Well said. Well, I'm going to interrupt right there because as a doula, I would have told you the same thing. So essentially your husband is your coach, a doula. Yeah. So like he was your doula, you know. So misoprostol, everyone is side attack, right? So those are the same thing. It's a prostaglandin. It can help soften. It's actually a GI medicine, but as a random side effect of softening the cervix, and it's very effective. Here's the thing. With premature rupture of the membranes, data shows us that you should be in labor within six to eight hours on your own, sometimes 24, very rarely 48. But the fact that 24 hours has now gone by and you're not in labor, as a doula even, the crunchiest of crunchy doulas, I would have recommended the same thing. I would have gotten your induction started.
1: And so my the midwife, she said, I... If you were doing home birth or birth center birth, you would be in the hospital right now because there's nothing that they can do at that point. They need to send you in to get induced at 20, about 24 hours after prompt. So I decided, okay, let's, let's start that. And, um, I really wish I had slept all day with the misoprostol activating in my system rather than bouncing on the ball and going for walks. Because in retrospect, I could have used the nap more than I could have used the attempting of inducing my labor. (laughs) But I ended up doing two rounds of misoprostol. So this took eight hours all day. I started at 10 in the morning with the first round, four hours of that one, no signs of labor coming. It was actually funny because I'm bouncing on my ball and my midwife and my doctor come in and they're like, so how are you doing? And I was like, I'm good. I think I might have had a contraction or two. And they're like, she's not in labor. <laughs> <Because> <laughs> they're like, you're smiling and you're happy and you're, she, they're like, okay, we'll come back and check on you soon. But I was a little insulted at the time, but I'm like, okay, so that's not labor. Like it, they'll know when I'm in labor basically is what they're <laughs> saying. Then, I mean, I was already started on uh, a, a couple of rounds of penicillin as well. At this point, I think at 12 o'clock, I started penicillin. So I ended up doing three rounds of penicillin before going into labor and two rounds of misoprostol. So two rounds of misoprostol would have worn out right around six o'clock. And that was when my nurses changed over. And my next nurse who came in was absolutely amazing as well. And she was there for my entire labor, which started right around six thirty. So she came in right when my labor started and everyone was kind of thinking I wasn't going to have my baby until the next morning, seven, eight, nine o'clock in the morning. So I've been there for now 24 hours pretty much at the hospital. I'm just getting my first contractions that I'm like, Ooh, okay, I think that was actually a contraction because I had to breathe through it. And so the midwife comes in and she checks my cervix and she's like, you're still at a zero, but it's soft at least. So she did her aggressive cervical check, as they called it, and which I think was a stretch and sweep that's the only thing that I can
0: a hundred percent cervical yeah. massage to release those prostaglandins and 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 it sounds like too maybe like your whole water bag wasn't broken maybe yeah. just your outer so, bag
1: so she said I she stretched me to two and a half centimeters and broke my waters and I actually did not find it was uncomfortable like really uncomfortable like I was expecting just from listening to other stories I had heard that it's really uncomfortable to get your cervical check your cervix checked and to get it the stretch and sweep. But I did not find it that uncomfortable. So I was really thankful about that. But as soon as she was done with that, she was like, okay, so your contractions should pick up now, um, but they'll probably calm down a little bit and then they'll pick up again when the baby's coming. And I was like, okay. Well, as soon as that woman left the room, I was in full labor every two minutes for a minute contracting for six hours. And at 11 o'clock, so it's from six to 11. So that was five hours. I hopped out of bed. I ran to the toilet. I'm like, I have to go poop. (laughs) And my husband called the doctor in or the nurse in and was like, she's trying to go to the bathroom. And then as soon as I realized I didn't have to poop, I remembered my friends saying, oh, they got a lot of they felt calm and really nice, just letting the warm water from the shower rub hit on their back. So I was like, I'm going to do that. As soon as that water hit me, I started convulsing, like had the worst shakes of my entire life. And in my mind, I'm saying, my mom told me that she had the worst shakes when she was in transition. And I'm like, but it's only been five hours. There's no way I'm in transition. Oh,
0: yes, there was. I don't even know where you're going, but If you feel like you have to poop and then you get in the shower and you are convulsing, you are in transition.
1: (laughs) Yes. So my wonderful nurse walks in and she goes, are you okay? What number out of 10 are you on a pain scale? And I said, I'm going to go with nine and a half because I need to leave room for it to get worse. (laughs) (laughs) And and so she's like, um, okay, do you want me to do a check? And I really didn't want to get checked because I was terrified of her saying, Oh, you're at four centimeters. And me wanting to go miss natural. I'm like, I can't have an epidural. So I have to tell her that I don't want to check. And then I was just like, I'm just, I was pretty much delirious because I didn't sleep the night before with my getting into the hospital. They had to be checking me and monitoring me every couple hours. And then all day, rather than sleeping, I was walking around and I'm a early bedtime person, like nine o'clock. 10 o'clock is normal for me to go to bed. So, this is 11 o'clock at night. I'm convulsing in the shower saying, I can't, I don't think I can do this right now. And so she's like, Do you want to have a nap? And I was like, Yeah. <laughs> I was like, How is she going to give me a nap right now? But it just sounded so good. She mentioned ambient, and I knew what that was. And I said, No, I don't want ambient. And she goes, Okay, well, what about statin? And I was like, I don't know. And she goes, Well, it will transfer to the baby, but somehow, like, you know, the placental, somehow it was going to transfer through. Yes, and
0: it crosses I, the, the, the IV opioids, cross the placental um, barrier.
1: Yes. So I just said, when she said sleep, I said yes. And so that was another one of those things that I wish I had researched more and had some knowledge of, because I probably would have said no, had I known what I was saying yes to but I didn't have time to research it at that time. And I already had the IV in my arm and it was very easy for me to go have my little nap. And so while it was a very wonderful one hour, almost exactly a one hour nap, I woke up, I ran to the toilet again. I said, I have to poop. And my husband got my nurse in there and it ended up being a fentanyl nap. So I guess they didn't have statin. It ended up being fentanyl. And she comes and she goes, don't hush, you're going to wreck your cervix or something like this because she didn't know where I was at. Literally on the board in the nursing station, I'm at a two and a half.
0: Whoa, amazing story, right? I was just jumping in to interrupt really quick with a couple of reminders. Again, you can pick up all my free guides at birthstory.com. You can get $5 off the Birth Story book by using Birth Story Podcast. When you check out, that also gives you free shipping and a free gift. If you are loving this episode, I say you start at the beginning. Start on episode one and go on a journey with me, letting me be your virtual doula and guiding you through this pregnancy. And if you are loving the podcast, I ask that you share it and leave a five-star review on whatever podcast player you are using. Today, I celebrate you. So now let's get back to this episode. Okay, Whitney. So we had just started to learn about you kind of nearing this really intense part of your labor and you we're taking a fentanyl nap.
1: Yes. So that is one part of the story that I I would have liked to have researched a little bit more ahead of time. Had I known what fentanyl was, that it was going to transfer to my baby, when she said this may transfer to your or this will transfer to your baby, I didn't really care at the time. I was just so deep in labor and in hindsight, I know I was in transition now, but I didn't want to get checked, so had my little nap, it was literally almost exactly one hour because I remember waking up, looking at the clock, it was midnight. and I jumped out of bed and I ran to the bathroom because I thought I had to poop again. And um, my husband ran and got the nurse, and she ran in, she goes, "Don't go to the bathroom. you're gonna ruin your cervix." Which I had no idea what that meant, but I was not going to push came back. I waddled myself back to the bed (laughs) and she checked me and she goes, well, you want to push because you're at 10 centimeters. It's time to have a baby. And I cried and she goes, but you can't push yet because we have to go get the midwife who at midnight was downstairs having a nap herself. So she sets me up in this chair. And this is one thing that I had all these thoughts of how I was going to push. And I was going to, be laboring in the water. And then I would have to get out because I was in this hospital setting and she just immediately starts raising the bed into this, like sitting up position with my legs, kind of like sitting on a squatty potty. That's kind of how I was set up. And she's like, she just did this. And I'm like, whatever. I didn't really care at this point. And actually during the nap, they set me up with a stability ball between my legs as well and had so that the baby could continue coming down. So she's like, okay, don't push. We have to wait for the midwife. And then I just remember a whole bunch of people coming in and out of the room. And I made a huge mess. Apparently my mucus plug came out or something when I ran to the bathroom. So they were cleaning up and I was just like, every person who came in, I was shouting the midwife's name. Are you here yet? Are you here yet? (laughs) Because I was so ready to just push and I didn't know. What I was doing, this is the first time I've experienced this, but I and I was kind of still so sleepy and just ready to meet my baby, and so she finally came into the room. It felt like an eternity, but it was probably about fifteen minutes, which really did feel like an eternity and by twelve thirty three my baby was born. Wow. So I woke up at twelve. my baby was born at twelve thirty three and they told me not to push this whole time so Anyway, the midwife finally comes in the room. My wonderful nurse who was on shift from the time I started labor was to my right and she acted as my doula. It was the most amazing, she was the most amazing blessing to have there with me. Because when I started pushing, I had no idea what I was doing. I had never done this before. I'm a professional athlete, so I felt like I could do anything. I didn't need to do any hypnobirthing. I had the strength, you know, I just thought this is going to be natural to have a baby. And I had, I thought I had the mind strength to get through it, which labor was definitely more mentally challenging than I anticipated it being. As soon as my husband, as soon as I started like really labor, I had to like tell my husband to put his headphones in and I just did it myself. Like I just got in the zone of just breathing with every contraction, but my mind was playing on me. It was like, Every contraction I'm like if it gets any worse than this I'm going to need an epidural. Every single time, but then by the time the wave went away, I was fine again and I'm like okay, I can get through the next one. But had I known, I think the next time if I get to experience this again, it will be I'll be mentally stronger. So anyway, here I am. My wonderful nurse becomes my doula and I had this other nurse to my left and I I remember my husband just pacing in the background. He was not touching me. <laughs> He's a little bit grossed out by the birthing experience. <laughs> We're like totally opposite because I'm like infatuated with it. I was following every birth account on social media. I was watching births. I was listening to birth stories and I just, I I love it. And he was just pacing the background. He didn't really want to be too involved with it, but I was fine with that. And so she starts telling me to push and I didn't know what I was doing, but she was telling me to kind of like, really make it feel like I was trying to go to the bathroom. And so I was like, okay, I did that. And she also told me to do two pushes with every contraction. So obviously I felt the contraction coming on. I would push hard and then I would push again. And she also helped me to realize that screaming is wasting my energy. (laughs) So she tried to get me to really get that energy to help get the baby out. So she did an amazing job of coaching me and really within 10 contractions, the baby was there. They asked me at one point if I wanted to have the mirror. And I was like, at this point, no, (laughs) because it's something my mom told me that she had. And I thought it was really cool to be able to watch it. But I was just, I think I was just so over being in labor and so close. I think that nap just really brought the baby so close that it was time to have the baby and there was no time to do anything else. So anyway, I remember grabbing myself at one point and it must've been when I was tearing a little bit, but they seemed like in a rush to get the baby out. That's how I felt. And I know that pushing can sometimes take like an hour, but they seemed like, it felt to me like, It was taking too long and they thought I wasn't doing a good enough job. So I just had to give it my all to get the baby out. Like it didn't feel like I could take my time. I remember from other birth stories that if you take your time, you can minimize your tearing and potentially not tear at all. But I remember just feeling this like really strong sensation. And I was grabbing my clitoris and my nurse said, what are you doing? And I was like, I don't know. I just, this just, I have to hold this. (laughs) (laughs) And she's like, okay, whatever. Um, But I I would assume that's when I was tearing because I had an internal, a little internal tear. But once he was out, it was just such an, like such a, it felt like a dream when they finally gave him to me. But they were talking a little bit at the end of, of me pushing that they could, the stats, his stats weren't quite right. So my midwife actually had to milk his um, umbilical cord a little bit because the nurses wanted to take him for vitals pretty quickly. But the midwife, I loved how calm she was in, in saying, he's fine. He's still connected to the placenta. He's still getting oxygen. So like he, she, she was very calm and she milked the umbilical cord. And then they did take him away to get his, just to make sure his, his heart rate was okay. Because at one point, I think they must have lost him on the monitors or something. Or my thought is he possibly got a little bit of the effects of the fentanyl because it was literally one hour, an hour and a half between me taking the opioids and him being born. So I don't know because he wasn't crying when he came out. He never cried. And that really freaked me out. And so when they finally put him on my chest, I'm like, why is he not crying? Because a, a newborn just breathes so gentle that I almost couldn't feel it. I'm just like, why is he not crying? Why is he not crying? Why is he not crying? And they said, he's fine. He's breathing. And you may just have a baby who doesn't cry a lot. And it's amazing that he really doesn't. He's such a relaxed baby. He cries in the middle of the night when my boob is not in his, when my <laughs> boob is not near <laughs> enough to him. But during the day, he's like the happiest baby. And that's how he was when he was born. He never cried. He peed and pooped on me as soon as he was coming out. And I just remember them putting him on me. I literally was like, oh man, this just got really real. You know, you're pregnant this nine months and you're preparing, but nothing can prepare you for the moment that you meet your baby for the first time. It's just so special. So
0: special. And it's like shock almost. I mean- Every time exactly. I watch it, I see like the mom's pupils dilate, like, yeah. Whoa, did that? That's real?
1: Yeah. <laughs> this it's is a real so baby. Amazing. Yes. Oh. And so baby oh. Zane had arrived. Oh, and hello, Zane. He, I didn't know the name. Okay. Yes. And he um, fed very well. I wanted to do the breast crawl, but then I think I was just impatient and I just put him on there. And he ate for like an hour. And then we all slept for like three hours. And I was like, this mom thing's going to be a piece of cake. (laughs) (sighs) I was Uh, wrong. but (laughs) I was like,
0: and then you fed again and again and again and again.
1: Uh, Yeah, it was just such an amazing experience. And I, ever since the day he was born, I've been so excited for possibly being able to do it again. Oh my gosh.
0: Isn't that the best? That is yes. the best birth story, Whitney, when you are so excited to do it again. I just, oh, I love it. I have a couple of like things I want to share with our audience about your story, or maybe with you too, that might help yeah. with your next one. As you were talking, I was thinking about a lot of different things. In the city in which I am a doula, they actually, and you know, I think we talked, I'm from Orlando. And so I know a lot of doulas and birth coaches in Orlando, but where I'm at in North Carolina, we actually don't, and like we, I mean, like the hospital doesn't administer fentanyl, IV fentanyl, in like if you're more than like maybe five to five centimeters dilated, mm-hmm. and um, and that is because of the sleepiness. But I think what happened with your birth is that they offered you this IV fentanyl, thinking it, you had lots of hours of labor to go. Yeah. I don't think anyone would have probably given you the IV fentanyl if they thought that your body would open so quickly. So you had this long, you know, really like from premature rupture, it took a long time for your body to sort of to kick into labor, right? Yeah. But then like when it did, it was ready. It was ready to go. So there was that. I want to talk about IV fentanyl. So like fentanyl does pass to the baby. I would imagine that you felt a little bit rushed and were being coached with your pushing rather than just like the fetal ejection reflex pushing your baby out. Because a lot of times with midwifery care, they won't ask you to push. They'll just say, let your body do the work, right? Like eventually the fetal ejection reflex will trigger. But if there were a few heart decelerations, Whitney, that maybe they weren't sharing with you, And that could be anything, right? That could just be normal heart decelerations with cord compression. That could be the fentanyl. I mean, it could just be anything. Then, you know, you do sort of want to help push your baby out more quickly because at that point, they're safer on the outside than being squeezed in the birth canal on the inside. So I think that might've, they just may not have shared that with you, but I'm assuming there was a few heart dips that they were like, hey, let's coach her to get this baby out and because you're a professional athlete and you were not like you know you had free movement of your body and it sounds like you were kind of upright and in a good position you you really were an efficient effective pusher no surprise by a professional athlete to push for 20 minutes versus 4 hours like you have a strong core like and you're powerful and so that translates right I mean, so really proud of you, Whitney, with that, being able to apply your skills, even unknowingly as an athlete, into your, into your birth space. I wanted to go back on premature rupture of the membranes, though, before we close out your birth story. You did everything right because data shows us you should be in labor within six to eight hours, sometimes 24, sometimes 48. And so I know we talked about that at the beginning of the episode, but I just want to reinforce that at the end of this episode as well. If anyone yeah. experiences premature rupture of the membranes, like do what Whitney did, which is chill for a long time. And if you chill for a long time and you're still not in labor at like hour 12-ish, you know, you should be in contact with your medical provider, of course, during all of that time. But as you can see from Whitney's story, it can take, it was what, 48 hours or so from the time of, how long was it from the time of rupture until delivery?
1: Oh, gosh. Yeah, it was at least 48 hours.
0: Yeah, 48 hours. So you're on the long curve, right? And you didn't get an infection and your baby didn't get an infection.
1: You were on antibiotics. So like that was, I knew that because it took so long for me to actually go into labor, that the antibiotics were actually important. So I did allow for that to happen.
0: Yeah. And so I think that you did everything right because you gave your body that time, right? Like you went to the lake, you hung out, you did kind of your thing, you ate your meal, like you did life and your body didn't quite get that message. And I think we talked about that inner bag versus the outer bag. So that outer bag kind of leaking. So I think it's really important to like, you know, of course, I think it's important to have a doula and you can bounce those things off your doula or a really good midwifery team and a nurse that you can have that guidance that you had, Whitney. I think you had a beautiful birth. It was so wonderful. And so the last thing I wanted to just kind of bring up with the audience that they might have heard you say and have been like, what in the world was that was milking the cord? So it's very important that we allow the cord to stop pulsating. And so what that means is when your baby's born and your placenta is still attached inside of you, the cord has a pulse, like a heartbeat. And often the midwives will let me put my, like a sterile glove on and feel it or let the partner feel it. And you can feel the pulse and you can ask to not clamp or cut the cord until that pulse is gone. Now, what Whitney was talking about with milking the cord, it's just like I want everyone to imagine right now you're drinking a really thick milkshake and you're trying to suck it up through the straw and there's all this milkshake in the straw. And so one way you could get the the milkshake into your mouth is to squeeze the straw and push all of the milkshake into your mouth instead of sucking it out, right? And so that's similar to what milking the cord is. It's we might need to clamp or cut the cord sooner than the pulse, um, than allowing the pulse to stop. And so what they do is they take all that beautiful, wonderful cord blood that you can see pulsing through the cord and they push it gently up to the baby towards the belly button. And so it's kind of a one-way flow of blood instead of the blood going back and forth between the baby and the placenta. So that's called milking the cord. It is on all of my birth plans for my clients that says, if we need to clamp and cut, because like Whitney's story was Zane, right? Like he needed a little bit of extra support. And your midwife did a wonderful thing by giving your baby all of that cord blood that was available and milking it. So anyone can Google it. I'll link to it in the show notes. But I think I'm so glad you mentioned that, Whitney, because I don't think I've ever talked about milking the cord on this podcast. And so what a wonderful thing to teach today. Thanks.
1: Yay! thank you so much. And one of the biggest takeaways for me from my whole birth story was almost nothing went to plan for me, right from the prom down to the early cord, having to cut the cord quickly, the opioid nap, like all of the things, nothing really went to plan. And in the end, I can look back and really, truly say that I had a beautiful birth experience and my husband was there for me emotionally the whole way. And he really helped me to stay. Our goal, our task was having a happy and healthy baby. And we accomplished that. And uh, we are so grateful to our birth team for supporting us in it.
0: I am so grateful for that too. I think it's really important. And I think you did this, right? you surrendered to the process. Like I like to say we have birth preferences, right? Yeah, We vision, we educate ourselves, we empower ourselves. But in the end, we have to surrender that our babies keep all of the knowledge. They know where their placenta is and their umbilical cord. They know like how your blood pressure is and how they're feeling. And we surrender to them. That's part of our inauguration into motherhood is that surrendering and you experience that in transition. That's another form of surrendering, right? The fight or flight is what you were experiencing. You were like, I just was like every contraction. I think you said you were just like, I could just, where's my epidural and I want to give up and then it would end. And when that fight or flight triggers like Whitney did, we just surrender and we just breathe and we let our baby do you know, their thing because they're part of this process. So your birth story, Whitney, is such a gorgeous
1: testament
0: Um, to that surrender and having the right birth team and the people around you. And if you could do anything differently, would you?
1: I think two things. I really don't love the fentanyl nap. I think I would have gotten checked instead of just saying yes to that nap because I think my baby was closer than I thought. So had I not been afraid of my own feelings and I had trusted what my body was telling me that I knew I was in transition, but I didn't believe that I could be, I think I could have avoided that fentanyl nap. And then the other thing is actually the stitches. My my midwife said, you don't really need stitches, but I think I'll do it just so that you're more comfortable in the next couple of days. And I really feel like the stitches cause a lot more discomfort for a lot longer period of time than the couple of days. I think that I would have avoided the stitches if I didn't absolutely need them. And that nap, I think I could have met my baby sooner had I trusted my body knowing I was in transition at 11 o'clock.
0: Whitney, I hope you get to do it again.
1: I hope.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And then come back on the show and tell me how it goes without a fentanyl nap on the next one. I just am so appreciative of you know, you and everything. And all we do is surrender to our experiences and learn from them. I actually think too your fentanyl nap may have helped your pelvic floor relax so much yeah. too that your baby came <laughs> so quickly, you know? So yes, sometimes the help. medical tools we can look back and and think maybe not, but maybe also we don't know. Maybe it was a tool that helped you your pelvic floor release and open. I do yeah. want to respond to the stitches. Um, always, can, you know, defer to your medical provider, but if they're optional, I just want to offer to the audience, Manuka honey is a really thick kind of barrier. And so I do have a lot of clients that have used Manuka honey to heal, like if they have a small tear. And when you were grabbing your clitoris, a lot of times too, we talk about perineal tearing. Okay. But there are so many different tears. You can actually yeah. tear your urethra, your clitoris, your labias, and you can have a sulcus tear, like a high up tear. And so um, Manuka honey is also, you know, a mm-hmm. good barrier if you have tears other than on your perineum. You know, if people aren't in, opposed to chemicals, you could use something like Vaseline. Mm-hmm. Coconut oil is also antimicrobial. So that's a really good... Like soothing thing to put on your you know vagina and labias and such after tearing, but if your provider says to you, you know, maybe it's optional, then a good thing to put on your birth plan is please discuss tears with me, which your midwife did in advance, and give me five minutes to make a decision, right? It's always fair to ask for five minutes and to think about what you know what you might want to do. so and then last thing. Have you seen a pelvic floor therapist since you gave
1: birth? No, and I've considered it, but then I just think, okay, I'm just going to do Kegels. And I've been trying to do my own thing, but definitely time with my husband has been one hard because of the baby and two also very difficult because of, I, I believe it's the stitches, not even the tearing itself, but hopefully it heals up. It is getting better. We're at 10, we're almost at 10 months now postpartum. And for the first little while, it was extremely painful. So I I started doing a little bit of at-home physical therapy just from research, but I have not seen a therapist.
0: Okay, good. I asked you that for a reason, Whitney, because I feel like everyone's answer to that is always no. Yeah. And I'm trying to use my platform to like educate or encourage people to all see. So you're a professional athlete. And that's why I specifically asked you, I don't think I've ever asked anyone else on the show, because if you rolled your ankle or did something you know, pretty small or significant, you'd probably see a PT immediately, right? Right. right. And so we have this trauma. Birth is mm-hmm. is trauma to our vagina and our bottom. <laughs> it just yes. is, right? Yeah. And yet it's not routine to see a physical therapist, right? We treat our vagina and our bottom like so different than we would treat our like ankle or our knee or our elbow. Right. And if we do a little sprain and we know, oh, it might take six weeks, we're still seeing physical therapy that whole time. So I really encourage every birthing person to see a a pelvic floor therapist within, you know, 12 weeks of giving birth because um, it's just, it's a body part that has had typically some sort of bruising, soreness, injury, and we can keep a really strong pelvic floor. If you're not into pelvic floor therapy, everybody, like, and Whitney's doing a lot on her own, Two of my favorite Instagram accounts are The Bell Method. I absolutely love, she's got some really good exercises and then Home Body Movement. So those are two of my favorite Instagrams for returning to center, healing your core and healing your pelvic floor. So I'll leave our audience with that. Whitney, what is your favorite baby product? Like, what do you wanna pass on to this audience On what are the must-haves?
1: For me, the only must-have we experienced in the hospital, and it was their sound machine. They had it on the wall. And it just, as soon as we turned on those waves, he passed out. And we were like, yep, we ordered one. It was here before we got home. And that's really the only baby thing that I have used since the beginning. And I'm still using it now. And the other really wonderful Thing that I have done with my son is at two months, we started potty training through elimination communication. I can send you a link for, for this, but it has been really, really great. And my son is almost 10 months old and we have like two or three wet diapers a day now. And he goes poop on the potty and he pees most of the time outside of his diaper.
0: Wow. So elimination communication EC, it is fascinating to me. I've had one other mom on the podcast, Gracie Davis, that talked about EC and it's so cool. So yeah, Yeah. you'll send a link. I would love to put it in your show notes also. And I think most people on Instagram can just do like hashtag EC or hashtag elimination communication and you can learn about it too and follow some um, mom bloggers, mom vloggers that specialize or do EC. It is possible. And it's very, very cool. So well done. Uh, You're the second person I've ever met that um, did that Whitney. So very neat. I am so thankful for you. I appreciate you being on the show today. And I now am going to be a fan and I hope that I can see you at some point water ski. And yeah, yeah, I'm going to go get to my Googling and see if I can watch some of your videos. And um, hopefully if you have some, we could put those in the show notes too. So we could watch you winning the worlds. Is that
1: possible? Yeah, I can probably find a
0: link. That would be great. So Whitney, have a wonderful day to our audience. Like stay empowered. You can do this. Take a deep breath. Whitney and I believe in you. And we hope that you learned from her story, some things that will help you as you enter into your birthing time.
1: Thank you so much for having me. Here.
0: Go, Mamas. Yes, go,
1: Mamas.
0: Thanks for listening, everybody. See you next week. Thank you for listening to Birth Story. My goal is you will walk away from each episode with a clear picture of how labor and delivery might go, and that you will feel empowered by the end of your pregnancy to speak up, plan, and prepare for the birth you want
1: no matter what that looks like.